Hey everybody, it's great to be here today on a beautiful day again. Feels a little bit like throwback Sunday. Kurt's leading worship and I'm preaching and so I could have worn a tie-dye shirt, maybe it would have been better. We've been in a series uh, about family relationship. We started it on Mother's Day. This series is going to conclude on Father's Day. Last week I talked about love-powered parenting and uh, today I want to talk about creating an atmosphere in your home where kids can thrive. The greatest gift that you can give your children is to love your spouse. A strong marriage where the love between a husband and a wife is visible and tangible, provides security and stability for children, and presents an atmosphere to them where they can thrive. When children question their parents' love for one another, they often begin to question God's love for them. Children come to know the love of God through the love their parents have not only for them but for each other. So if you want your children to experience God's love, then you you have to be willing in your family to do what it takes to be selfless in your love for your kids and for your spouse. In a lot of ways, the family was designed to be a school of love. And there's no greater love that you can give your children than to love your spouse. Proverbs 24, verse 3, a verse that we looked at last week extensively, says homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. In other words, God wants you to be wise, and He wants you to understand how a family operates. The the bedrock foundation of of a strong family is a strong marriage. And um, a lot of marriages fall apart due to ignorance. A lot of marriages fall apart because people are unaware of the dynamics. They're in the dark about what's actually taking place in their marriage. I've had lots of people say to me, I have no idea what went wrong with our marriage. It just didn't turn out like we planned. Today, I want us to gain a little bit of wisdom and understanding which God says is the foundation to a strong family, a strong home life. An author that I've enjoyed over the years, Gary Smalley, he wrote a lot of books about family from a Christian perspective. One of them was called The Language of Love, and another, Making Love Last for a Lifetime. And Dr. Smalley said there are three stages of marriage, which I'd like to describe to you today. And... um, Got too much stuff up here. <clears throat> Stage number one, Dr. Smalley said, is what we call the happy honeymoon. The key idea in the happy honeymoon is it's thrilling. It's exciting. The Old Testament book, Song of Solomon, is all about stage one, the happy honeymoon. Listen to Solomon as he describes his beloved wife, and he's, he's comparing her. He says in Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. This guy is, I mean, he's just smitten by this woman. And now she says back to him, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweeter to my taste. He's taking me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins and fresh me with and refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. So what she's saying is, 
this big hunk is devastating to me. He, he is just one big lover boy. Verse 8. Listen, my lover, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. Why is it, maybe just a mental picture. Can you see like your husband bounding into the living room in his boxer shorts? He's leaps, <laughs> he's leaps over the couch. And uh, these two are, they are just totally smitten with each other. I want to give you some words that, that give you a picture of the happy honeymoon stage. <clears throat> Word number one, intensity. They're spellbound. They're absorbed. They are totally engrossed with each other. They've got this, you know, I only have eyes for you deal. They're totally preoccupied. He says, I'm faint with my love. And that's what's happening in stage one. You're zapped. All you can see is that person, focused attention, intensity. A second word to describe this phase is idealism. You have a tendency in stage one of your marriage to put your partner on a pedestal. In chapter four of Song of Solomon, he goes on to say, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Then he starts comparing her. He says, your eyes behind your veils are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Men, I'm sure you ought to try that one tonight with your wife. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Just understand, he's talking about Mediterranean beauty here. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. I, I guess they stick out a bunch, but... Your neck is like the Tower of David. Now, Solomon is looking at his wife, and he's kind of giving a rundown of her body. Actually, the Scripture goes quite a bit further, but I think we're going to stop right there at the neckline for this message today. Um, verse 7, he says, All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. It's idealism. It's total disregard of any fault. So first there's intensity, and then there's idealism. The third thing that happens in this honeymoon stage is indulgence. In the happy honeymoon stage, there's just a lot of giving in and giving up. You know, you know, maybe you can remember those days when you said, whatever you want, darling. No, whatever you want, sweetheart. And so you cater to every whim. You pamper each other. She can't stand sports, but she goes with her husband to the game anyhow. He can't stand shopping, but he does it anyhow because of indulgence. The fourth thing is infatuation. Actually, infatuation is the result of the first three. When you have intensity and idealism and indulgence, then you got, you're smacked with it. You've got infatuation, which is just really a feeling of extreme happiness. It's a feeling of well-being. Everything is great. The world is great. You, you've got, you know, kind of a bounce in your step. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love with a beautiful girl, guy. I'm in love. Through the entire book of the Song of Solomon, they write this way. You've got all these ingredients, intensity, idealism, indulgence, infatuation. There's a fifth thing that you ought to be aware of that also begins with an I, and that's ignorance. As stage one begins, you really don't know the person. You're in love with an ideal of them, but you don't really know what they're like until you've been with them for a while. So during stage one, we tend to ignore major differences. We tend to overlook faults. We tend to put hang-ups aside. And as a result, lots of times in the early stages of a marriage, 
major differences are just swept under the carpet. They're ignored. But the fact is, this stage doesn't last, and it can't last. Sooner or later, we wake up to the reality that we have differences. You have different temperaments. We have different responsibilities. You find that there is more to life than just having fun. You have to start paying the bills. And then oftentimes, kids come along. And poopy diapers can change a lot of things. So stage one is the happy honeymoon, which kind of floats off to the side when we come to stage two. Stage two is the party's over. Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, but he also wrote the book of Proverbs. You need to realize that the same man who wrote all this flowery stuff in Solomon, Song of Solomon also wrote some things in Proverbs. And um, in Song of Solomon, he's saying, you're perfect, you're flawless, there's nothing wrong with you, love is great, it's fantastic. But Proverbs says this, Proverbs 25, verse 24, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Then Proverbs 27, verse 15, Solomon says this about his lovely wife. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. So what happened? What, what turned his delight into disillusionment? What, what turned his, where he was in dating mode, now they're in debating mode. His romance has turned to resentment. What happened? Well... Stage two, the party's over, is inevitable. You cannot live in the honeymoon stage for your whole marriage. Stage three, stage two has got some words that begin to creep in that describe it. Number one, dullness. Boredom sets in. It's back to the routine. You become complacent. You begin to lose interest. In fact, Lots of times in your appearance, you just begin to let it all hang out. When you were dating, you had to look perfect. But after you get married, you you just let it all hang out. The attitude before marriage is anything you want. After marriage, it's get it yourself. The second thing that comes in is disagreements because you begin to clash over these differences that you begin to recognize. Some strife creeps into your marriage and and some hang-ups begin to show up, and, and you begin to experience some disharmony. There's, there's conflicts, there's disagreements. And as a result of that, the third thing is defensiveness comes in, and you start protecting yourself. You're not as open as you used to be. You don't, you don't let your guard down as often as you did. You, you feel like you've got to watch your back. <clears throat> you start protecting yourself because you think that your faults are going to be used as ammunition against you. And so you don't really really admit that you've got any faults. So we begin to make excuses for ourselves. Here's what happens typically in this phase. We begin to excuse ourselves, and we begin to accuse our mate. We blame them and start finding fault with each other. Resentment builds up and defensiveness creeps in. The fourth thing that happens is disapproval. At first Solomon is saying everything she does is right. Now he's saying nothing that she does is right. And it's a major change in attitude. There's a lot of nagging and criticizing and complaining. It's like the the wife who who I know, she said, I knew my husband was temperamental. But I found out it was 90% temper and 10% mental. And when that happens, respect goes down the tube. We criticize and 
we jab at each other and we're constantly being critical, which leads to number five, disappointment. I've had many people tell me, I feel cheated. I got into this marriage, but now I've got these feelings of regret, and I feel like I've been cheated and I'm trapped, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to get out of it. What have I gotten myself into? The doubts come along, and, and people begin to ask, did I do the right thing? Did I marry the right person? Did I make a mistake? Why was I not listening to God? Why didn't I listen to my mother? Doubts and disillusionment. Now, what happens, these five Ds, dullness, disagreement, defensiveness, disapproval, disappointment, set you up for two more big Ds, two more big Ds. They're the inevitable result is either depression or divorce. Depression is when I just endure the misery and I internalize all the anger. I've had many people say to me, my relationship with my spouse is really getting me down. They make me feel so fill-in-the-blank, bad, mad, sad. Eventually, if you don't internalize it, it could lead to divorce where you split up. You feel like the only way out of this is to dump the bum. I just got to get rid of them. And these tend to end up being the two alternatives that people find, depression or divorce. So what happened? What happened between stage one and stage two? What happened between you make me feel so great to in stage two, you make me feel so bad? The sad fact is that many marriages never get past stage two. Did you know that the average length of a marriage today in the United States is 7.2 years? That means most marriages never get to stage three is what I want to talk about today. Making it past the honeymoon, making it past this party's over to making it to stage three. Stage three, I want to call it mature love because we don't want to have a breakdown or a breakup. What we really want to see is a breakthrough. Our marriages need a breakthrough into maturity. That's what's described in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter in the Bible on love. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. And friends, let me just tell you, the way you make it to stage three is love is patient. Most of us don't do very well with patience. Don't ask Kathy about that. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. The kind of love that is described here is mature. Mature love is different than infatuation. Mature love is different than just romanticism. Mature love is the kind of love that is based on action and is based on choices. When he describes what love is, all of these words that he uses to describe love are not feelings, they're actions. I want to give you some words that are characteristic of stage three kind of love. And I put them in an acrostic of trust, T-R-U-S-T, 
So let me, let me give you some words to fill in here because I want each of you who are married or ever going to be married to make it to maturity in your love. The first one is tenderness. There's tenderness in your marriage. You're gentle, not judgmental. You're careful with each other's feelings. You're tender with each other's egos. You realize you're on the same team. You're not, you're not out to destroy one another. You're out to help one another. <clears throat> and the way you help each other is through tenderness and trust. You're tender. The second one, it's an R, an R and R, respect and responsibility. You've got to respect your spouse. You treat them with appreciation, and, and you accept responsibility for your part of the marriage. It's absolutely necessary for you to accept your responsibility to make a marriage work. It's not just the other person. It's not just on them. The U is for understanding. The only way to make it to stage three is to know about your differences and then to accept them. We are not ever going to be exactly alike, and that's okay. God didn't make another person just like me. God didn't make another person just like you. I'm unique. You're unique. There's, there's estimated 7 billion people that live on planet Earth, and you are one in 7 billion. There's no one like you. And so you have to understand you're different. And you have to know that you've got faults, and your spouse has got faults, and you still accept them. And out of that, out of understanding, comes the next S is security. Mature love has a security, and it says, no matter what happens, we're going to make it. And so you're not threatened by disagreements. When an argument comes along, you don't get afraid, and you don't think, maybe our marriage is dying, maybe this is the end. No, there's security that we're going to make it through this thing. Yes, this is a problem. Yes, this is a big issue, but we're going to work through it. What you think to yourself is, we've gone through too much together to let this slip away. We've had too many good experiences to let this crisis or let this argument destroy our marriage. Security in a marriage comes from the kind of wholehearted commitment where you say to each other, I'm committed to you no matter what. That kind of security will revolutionize your marriage. It'll help you with your communications. It'll make your sex life better because you're secure in each other's love. And then T, truthful. Marriage that is mature is truthful. The scripture says it delights, it rejoices in the truth, which means you're open and you're honest. You're truthful, but you're tender. You know, one of the best verses in the Bible, I quote it all the time, it says, speak the truth in love. So that's stage three, and that's the stage God wants every marriage to get to. Here, it's the place that you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. So let me just talk to you a little bit today about how do you get there? How do you get from stage two, where the party's over, to stage three, where your marriage begins to be based upon mature love? The starting point, the first thing you do, you got to open up. Open up. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Friends, could I just tell you, a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships need to be healed. 
So how are relationships healed? Well, according to the Bible, through confession and prayer. You open up and you confess what problems you've got, what sins you've committed, what things you're holding on to. You open up and then you pray for each other. It takes honest communication to get to stage three. If you're hiding stuff in your marriage, if you're hiding feelings, if you're hiding issues, you've got to open up. You start by admitting you have a problem. That's the first step. And actually what you've got to admit is that you're part of the problem. Don't just admit my wife's got a problem. No, you have to admit we've got a problem and I'm part of it. As you face these issues, you have to be honest. Quit, quit concealing and start revealing. One of the things in Celebrate Recovery, and I think I saw it in the Daniel Plan um, manual too, it says revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. So don't be defensive. It takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of gut leveling to make it to stage three. You confess your faults to each other. Open up. And next thing you got to do, you got to give up. You, you got to give up the things that are clearly not working. You got to give up the things that tend to increase the problem rather than decrease the problem. There are attitudes and responses that heighten the tension in your marriage, and those things you got to give up. Well, what are you talking about, Rob? What kind of attitude? What kind of treatment? Well, let, let me give you some examples. How about this one? The silent treatment. Your spouse asks, anything wrong? You say, no. Are you sure? No. <laughs> Are you all right? Now, just leave me alone. The silent treatment is a sure way to kill a marriage. Another attitude that you need to give up is you've got to quit threatening to walk out. If you don't do this, then just watch what happens. And the hidden veil of what you're talking about isn't so hidden after all. You begin to threaten. You've got to give up sarcasm and ridicule. Things like, only you could be that stupid. Could I just tell you, that never built a good marriage at all. It may be cute, but it doesn't help. The next one is blame. As long as you spend all your time trying to fix the blame, actually, you can't fix the problem. You need to spend more time trying to fix the problem than fixing the blame. You've got to decide, do I want to fix the problem? Do I want to fix the blame? Because when you try to fix the blame, what that really is an attempt just to make yourself look better. The next one is trying to change your partner. You think, well, I'll just improve him. My new improved husband, my new improved wife, I'm going to improve him. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just make him in the image of me. If you're trying to make your spouse into the image of yourself, it, it's a self-defeating response. It will not work. So you got to give up some stuff. So you begin by opening up, and then you, you begin by following up, by giving up some stuff. And then finally, here's a, the, the thing you really got to do. you got to grow up. The greatest need in marriage is maturity. And there are a lot of selfish, immature people who got together before they ever realized what they were doing. <clears throat> but listen, that marriage can work if they grow up. If you grow up and accept some responsibility, grow up. Face the facts. Learn to adjust. Learn to adapt. There's got to be some give and take. That's what growing up will show you. You've got to have some give and take. <clears throat> and 
friends, change is rarely instant in a person. And actually, change is rarely radical. It's rarely dramatic. That's, that's stuff the movies are made of. But it takes time and effort to see change happen in our life. It doesn't just happen overnight. And it can be really, really tough. In fact, a lot of times when we're working through marriage issues, maybe going through counseling and dealing with the issues and you begin to figure out what they are, and you begin to think, is it really worth it? This is hard. Is it really worth it? Let me tell you, friends, yes, it is worth it. There's nothing more fulfilling than a relationship that's built on the things that don't change. How do you have a marriage that will last forever? I asked the band to come back. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, three things will last forever. I want you to get this. Three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And friends, if you build your life on these three things, if you build your marriage on these three things, you will have a relationship that lasts forever. Now, I realize in a room like this today, we've got, we've got marriages that, that of all kinds. We've got some newlyweds here. They're just beginning to figure it out. We've got some marriages for of more than 50 years. Whatever stage you're at, Jesus Christ is willing and waiting to help you. If your marriage hasn't made it to stage three yet, he's waiting to help you get there. Actually, maybe your marriage was even there for a while. Maybe you were doing well, and something came along, some stress or some trouble or some issue, and and you found yourself back in stage two. Let me just tell you, if you look at your notes, hopefully you were paying attention and taking some today, uh, do, do any of the things we talked about in stage two, do they describe your relationship today? Has dullness crept in? Have you gotten bored with each other? Is your marriage in the doldrums? It, it's not bad, it's just ho-hum. How about disagreements? Are you constantly clashing and arguing and fighting and poking at each other? Or maybe defensiveness would best describe it, where you're just accusing each other and making excuses and blaming. Or disapproval. You're constantly picking on each other, nagging, put-downs. Or maybe you've got disappointment and you're feeling like, I'm trapped. How did I get myself into this? As a result, maybe you've already fallen into one of the big D's, depression. Maybe you're even thinking about the other big D, divorce. Friends, I want to tell you today, Jesus can transform your marriage. There are people who are in our congregation who have been to the rock bottom of brokenness and know that there is hope. Maybe you've gone through 
a divorce. Maybe you've gone through a separation. There's still hope for you. God's got wonderful plans for you. I want to close in prayer. Lord, please remind us, please remind me that our love for each other is to be patient and kind, not envious, not boastful, certainly not arrogant. Help us not to be rude to each other or selfish or to always insist on our own way. Lord, may our marriage, may my marriage not be marked by anger, not by resentment. Help us to be slow, to become angry and quick to forgive, not keeping a record of hurts. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your love would help us to bear all things and to believe all things, to hope all things, and to endure all things like your love for us. Many years ago, I was at a wedding. It was Philip and Wendy Scott. Philip's here today. And they had an unusual line at the end of their wedding vows. I'd never heard it before or since. And they said, And if our love should ever die, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Friends, Jesus has the power and the ability to raise dead people back to life. And he can raise a dead relationship, a dead marriage, back to life. He can put real joy back in your life.